One of the uh, reoccurring metaphors in the Bible is that uh, the people of God long to hear the word of God uh, like this weary traveler in his dry um, and thirsty land. And uh, so why don't we really drink deeply of God's word? Um, As you can turn to page four, the teaching comes from Mark chapter five. And I'll read to you starting from verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard of the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment, for she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And Jesus looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And Jesus said to her, Daughter, Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While Jesus was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who had said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And Jesus allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James, And they came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But Jesus put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is the word of God. Um, One of the greatest heartaches in life is waiting. Uh, You set your heart on something, and yet God holds you back. Um, God delays in carrying out his promises, and it creates just such heart sickness. It it makes us grieve. But this story is just so beautiful. It's so helpful to us because it gives us reasons. It gives us resources to trust God when he delays, right? Because Jairus in our story, he had to wait, with seemingly tragic consequences, and yet Jesus had something far better for him in mind. 
So we're going to take a look at the story, and we're going to look at it in three parts. First, we're going to look at the delay, and then we're going to look at the reason for the delay, and then we're going to look at how we can trust Jesus for the delay. Okay, so three points. Let's start. Number one, the delay. The um, emotional climax of the story comes in verse 35. It's the most gut-wrenching, it's the most heart-rending moment in the story. The news arrives, Jairus' daughter is dead. How do we get to this point in the story? Well, let's go back to the beginning, verse 21. Um, Jesus is surrounded by this enormous crowd. And no doubt he was teaching. And then in comes in Jairus. And Jairus falls at Jesus' feet. Now, the text tells us that Jairus was the ruler of the synagogue. This was someone who was appointed to sort of govern the affairs of the synagogue. He was incredibly respected in his community. And for someone of that high stature to fall at his feet, at someone's feet, you know, remember what feet meant in that culture. Jairus was desperate. Why was he desperate? What says, uh, Jairus says in verse 23, my little daughter is at the point of death. And that is a very good translation. Uh, Jairus' daughter is at the point of death. Jairus' daughter is at death's door. She's about to die. And that's the crucial detail you have to know in order to understand the whole drama of this story, that Jairus' daughter is at the point of death. And then Jairus says, Come and lay your hands on her, and she will be made well. So Jairus expresses this faith that Jesus could heal her, can, can heal her. But notice how Jairus, how he says it. In the beginning of verse 23, he says, Jesus, uh, Jairus implored Jesus earnestly, earnestly. Jairus says to Jesus, come, but come quickly. Hurry, there is no time to lose. And Jairus, I'm sorry, Jesus agrees to come, right? Jesus says, I'll come. And can you just imagine how Jairus must have felt at this moment? Just incredible relief, right? Just, just incredible renewed hope. He must have been saying in his heart, my little girl, I'm coming. I'm bringing Jesus. Hold on. Just hold on for a couple of more minutes. I'm bringing Jesus. But then, in verse 24... A great crowd followed Jesus and thronged about him. And that word thronged means to press in, to crowd around Jesus. And what had happened was this enormous crowd heard that Jesus was going to heal Jairus' daughter. He was coming to the rescue. And they were so excited they were going to see one of Jesus' famous miracles. And so they decided to come along. And they're sort of crowding around. They're sort of kind of blocking the way. And can you imagine at this point what Jairus is feeling? This sort of rising panic, this sort of incredible frantic frustration. He must have been, you know, pushing the crowd. He must have been saying, please make way. Please move aside for Jesus. My little girl is sick. Please move, please. But then in verse uh, 25, Jesus and Jairus and his disciples are racing to rescue this little girl. And then Jesus stops. And he stops to talk with this woman. And he's conversing with her, this extended conversation. We see that in verse uh, 35, for example, at the beginning. It says that while Jesus was still speaking... He's going on with her, on and on and on, this very extended conversation. And imagine what Jairus must have felt. He was watching this conversation in absolute horror, right? 
he must have felt um, like the whole the, the earth was opening up under him. This nausea. And then his worst fears come true. Someone from his home comes and he gives the report, the, the news that he, he most feared, his daughter is dead. And uh, the way they say it, right, they say um, in verse 35, why trouble the teacher any further? And it's kind of like, you know, twisting the knife. What they're saying is it's too late. The crucial window of time is closed. Jesus delayed too long, and now your daughter is dead. And Jesus, overhearing what is said, and in fact, that word overhearing can mean ignoring, Jesus, ignoring what they said, says to Jairus in 36, verse 36, do not fear, only believe. And that word believe has this uh, continuous sense, meaning keep on believing. Jesus says to Jairus, you believed in me at the start, but I want you to keep on believing. Don't stop. Keep on believing. Now, what do we learn here? What is Jesus telling us? It's such a challenging teaching that God's grace and his love for us doesn't operate on our schedule. That it doesn't come at a time that we think is reasonable, that God very frequently delays carrying out his promises and his blessings for us. Um, And this makes us sick to our stomachs, right? This makes us angry, and it makes us question whether God even loves us because we say if God truly loves us, he will never delay. But Jesus is telling us, my love and my grace for you is compatible with what seems to you inexcusable and unreasonable delays because we think that God only loves us if he comes at a schedule and a time that we think is right. But Jesus is saying, if you impose your schedule and your timing on me, then you're going to constantly feel like I've forgotten you, that I've abandoned you, that that I don't love you. But that is just simply not true. I do love you. And when I delay, it's full of good purpose. It's full of my loving intentions for you. And so will you not trust me? Will you not keep believing me? This is just so hard, you know? This is so challenging because so many of us are waiting, are we not? Some of us are waiting for a spouse. Um, And we're waiting for God to bring, you know, our future husbands, our future wives into our lives. And uh, that person hasn't shown up. And we can feel this rising panic within us because every year, every day, we're getting older and, and we're wondering, is it ever going to happen? Some of us are waiting for children. You know, we want God to bring this little child into our lives. We just have so much love and so much care to pour out and yet God has not allowed it to happen. Some of us are waiting for our careers to start, right? We have this passion, we have this vision for what we want to do in this life. And we've done everything possible to make it happen, right? We've done all the education, you know, we've done all the grunt work, and yet it hasn't happened. It's happened for other people, but hasn't happened for us. And we feel like life is just passing us by. But Jesus is asking us to trust him, to keep on trusting him. Jesus is asking us, um, to look at the story, right? Because this story gives us incredible hope and incredible, um, you know, renewed comfort because we can see all that is going on. We can see the reasons. We can see 
why Jesus delays for Jairus. So let's take a look at that. So that's point number one, the delay. The point number two is the reason for the delay. Why did Jesus stop for this woman? Well, let's take a look at her. In verse 25, it says that she suffered a discharge of blood. And uh, what is probably in mind here is she suffered some sort of chronic menstrual bleeding. And um, no doubt this was very painful at the time uh, on a physical level. But what was truly debilitating and truly uh, traumatizing about this illness is that this made her ritually unclean. Um, remember, uh, about two weeks ago, I talked about how any dis- bodily discharge made you unclean. For her to have this continuous flow of blood absolutely isolated her from the community, right? It cut her off from her family. It cut her off from her friends. And so this was a woman utterly alone. And on top of that, not only that, uh, it says in verse 26, she suffered much under many doctors. So she went to these physicians and she's seeking this healing, but not only could they not heal her, they made her far, far worse. And she spent all of her money, right? She went bankrupt in the process and so she was economically destitute. And therefore, this woman is just as desperate as Jairus. But her desperation is a quiet desperation of 12 long years. Can you imagine? 12 years. Now, Mark says that this woman suffered for 12 years. But notice in the story that the little girl, Jairus' daughter, is also 12 years. Why does Mark sort of mention these two numbers? He's asking us to compare these two characters, right? These two people. And between the two people, medically speaking, who is more urgent? Whose case requires Jesus' attention more? The little girl, right? She's on the brink of death. And the woman, yes, as tragic as her situation is, surely she can wait a few hours. But Jesus stops for the woman. And this completely confuses and angers the disciples, right? And this explains why they're so sarcastic and rude to him, right? In uh, verse uh, 30, Jesus says, um, well, the text says that Jesus felt power go out of him. It's a very unusual phrase. We'll get back to that later. But Jesus feels his power go out from him. And he says, who touched me? And how did the disciples reply? They can't believe what they're hearing. They say, who touched you? Do you not see this enormous crowd thronging about you? Who touched you? Everyone touched you, Jesus. Everyone touched you. What are you talking about? We don't have time for this. Why are you stopping for the woman? But you see, Jesus knows something that the disciples don't know. And Jesus knows that in verse 28, the woman had said to herself, if only I touch his clothes, his garments, then I'll be healed. You see, very typical of the time, this woman had this very... um, quasi-magical, very a superstitious understanding about the power of Jesus. And she said, only if I touch him, touch his clothes, somehow the power will come in to me. And so this woman's healing was not complete. She had received bodily healing, right? But Jesus was seeking something more. He wanted to make her into a life-transformed disciple. He wanted her to know who he is. And this is why he has this extended conversation. This is why he goes on with her on and on and on. And we know that this is the correct interpretation because look at verse 34. Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. And that underlying word there for, um, for made you well is the Greek word suzo. And suzo can mean, yes, bodily healing, but it also means 
salvation. It means rescue. And Jesus is intending both meanings, right? Jesus is saying to the woman, your faith has bodily healed you and through your faith you've been saved. He makes her into a a disciple of his. Now this is an enormous comfort to us. You know why? Because notice in the story, Jesus doesn't take Jairus aside and explain all of this to Jairus, right? Um, Jairus is completely in the dark. He doesn't know all the the behind-the-scene details. As far as Jairus can see, it's this inexcusable delay, and there's just no time. But Jesus knows that the situation with the woman is absolutely time-sensitive. If the woman were to merely touch Jesus and then go, all she would receive is this bodily healing and she would have this incomplete knowledge of Jesus. But Jesus wants to make her this disciple. And what about the little girl? Well, you know, it's just as easy for Jesus to raise this little girl up from the dead as it is to heal her. But notice that Jesus doesn't tell Jairus any of this. Why? Because Jesus is asking Jairus to trust him. Do you see that? He's asking Jairus simply to keep on believing. And Jesus says to us and to Jairus, if I delay, it is for a very good reason. I'm not always going to show you why. It's going to seem like this inexcusable, unreasonable delay, but I want you to keep believing me. I want you to keep trusting me. And this is an enormous comfort to us. Because in our lives, Jesus delays. And we don't know why. But at least we can see the reasons why in Jairus' story, right? We can take comfort by looking at Jairus' case. Now, there's another reason why God delays. Um, When we're forced to wait, it exposes our hearts, right? When Jesus delays, when we're forced to wait, we're angry, we're frustrated, right? Why? Let's be honest with ourselves. It's because we feel entitled, right? I remember uh, when I was in college, I've shared this story with a few of you a couple of times, but when I was in college, um, I wanted to become a pastor, and I just naturally assumed that, you know, everything would be smooth, that all the doors would open, that I would immediately after college go to seminary, Um, but it didn't happen that way, and I had to work for three years, three long years, saving up money. And during that time, I was just so angry with God. I was just so frustrated that he was holding me back. And during that time, I realized, wait a minute. I want to serve God, and yet I'm angry with him. And it just exposed to me just the the sinful heart that I had. And you see, when you're forced to wait, it, it will either embitter you and drive you away from God, or it will expose to you your arrogance your self-centeredness, and it will humble you to the dust. You see, God makes us wait to make us wise, to make us holy, to make us usable for His kingdom, to make us humble. Think about the example of Moses. Moses was a young man. He was so eager and ready to be the liberator of Israel, and yet God held him back. God made Moses wait in obscurity, in the wilderness, for 40 years, can you imagine, for 40 years, until Moses was just completely stripped of his pride, until he was completely dependent upon God, and then God was able to use Moses for his glory, for his work. And so the other reason why God delays is to do us good. 
So that's point number two, the reason for the delay. Now, uh, you know, point number three is trusting Jesus for delay. Some of you are saying, okay, I understand everything that you're saying on an intellectual level. Um, I understand that, uh, yes, there are reasons that I don't know for the delays. Yes, um, the delays are there for my, book, for my good, but how can I really trust that Jesus loves me, that Jesus has my good, in, my good you know, intentions in mind? How can I really know? Well, let's go on with the story. Uh, in verse 38, um, Jesus arrives at the home of Jairus, and he's greeted there by this huge wailing and crying. Um, the mourning process has begun, and Jesus says in verse 39... <laughs> He says, why are you mourning and wailing? The child is not dead, but is sleeping. Now, this is too much for everyone. (laughs) And they laugh. They mock Jesus. But Jesus ignores them, and he goes into the home, and he sits down on a little girl's bed, and he takes her hand, now a corpse, and he says to her, Talitha kum. Talitha kum. Now, those are Aramaic words. And here's the thing you need to know in order to appreciate what's going on. Um, Jesus and everyone in Israel during the ancient world didn't speak Hebrew. They spoke a very closely related language called Aramaic, okay? Uh, but the gospel writer Mark, in fact, the entire New Testament is written in Greek, which was the dominant language in the Mediterranean world at that time. And so, in essence, everything that Jesus says and all the dialogue that's going on is translated from Aramaic into Greek, right? But on some very rare occasions, Mark, Jesus says something that's just so astonishing, so breathtaking, that Mark has to put in Jesus' actual words. Jesus, and, 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 and he does it right here. He puts in the actual Aramaic words, which is, Jesus said, Talitha kum. What does that mean? Well, Mark tells us, right, that it means, little girl, I say to you, arise. And you know, much is lost in the translation, uh, which is why Mark puts in the original Aramaic. You know, and so we have Aramaic scholars that can look at this, and this is what they say. The word Talitha doesn't actually mean little girl. It literally means little lamb. And it was a kind of pet name that parents gave to their children, right? And so the modern equivalent would be something like sweetheart, honey, sugar. And what about the second word, kum? Um, I know it looks like it's pronounced kumi, but it's pronounced kum. Um, it doesn't mean, you know, arise as if like the solemn, uh, you know, formal statement. Um, but it's a very common very um, everyday way to say simply get up. Okay, just it just means get up. And um, if you put the two together, and here, um, you know, Tim Keller, who preached from this passage, and uh, you know, I'm really drawing a lot of the insights from his uh, message here. But he says, if you look at these two these two words, if you put them together, in essence, what Jesus is saying is he's saying what every what any mother would say to her child after she's taken a nap, what Jesus is saying is, honey, it's time to get up. That's what he's saying. That's what Talitha Kum means. Honey, it's time to get up. What does that mean? What does that tell us? It's so amazing. You know, this is why Mark was so, so taken away that he had to put in the actual words. Honey, it's time to get up. Here's what it means. Two things. Number one, it shows us 
the absolute power of Jesus. Here is death, the greatest enemy of humanity. You know, the greatest scourge, the the most powerful plague on humanity. And how does Jesus defeat death? Does Jesus say, everyone, stand back. You know, does he, you know, roll up his sleeves and sort of make this theatrical show of, you know, concentration and focus, you know, arise from the dead? No, right? Jesus simply says, honey, it's time to get up. That's it. He reaches down and picks her up out of death. That's it. And this is why Jesus says at the beginning, this little girl is not dead, but is sleeping. Because when Jesus has your hand, death is but sleep. It's like a nap. Until one day, Jesus says to you, it's time to get up. And then death is over. And then death will be no more. There's a second meaning uh, to honey, it's time to get up. And that is that this shows us that Jesus is the true and ultimate parent. We all have parents. And even the best of parents ultimately fail us, right? They take us by the hand, but on occasion, they let go. On occasion, they slip up and they hurt us and they misguide us. But when Jesus has your hand, He will never let you go. He will never misguide you. He will always care for you and take care of you. And this shows us just the absolute tenderness of Jesus, that when Jesus has our hands, He will lead us through the darkest of nights. He will comfort us and care for us like the ultimate parent. Now, I want to close by asking a question. How is it that Jesus can do this? How is it that Jesus can reverse the sentence of death, that Jesus can make the woman, uh, can take away her uncleanness? Because remember, okay, that this woman's uncleanness, that the little girl's death is the proper and right judgment for our sins, right? The Bible tells us the wages of our sins is death. The Bible tells us that our outward uncleanness is a reflection of our inward uncleanness. And so therefore, how can Jesus do this? How can Jesus heal the illness? How can Jesus raise the little girl from, her, from death? And the reason is that Jesus takes our place. Jesus is our substitute. And we see this so beautifully back all the way up in verse 30. And I want you to draw your attention there. This very unusual phrase... Uh, the gospel writer Mark says, Jesus felt power had gone out from him. What does that mean? When the woman touched him, power had gone out from him. It means this, that in order to make the woman strong, Jesus had to become weak. Jesus was drained and the woman was filled. And that is the gospel. Do you understand? That is the gospel. That transfer that exchange is the gospel that in order to raise us from the dead jesus had to go down into the grave in order to give us his hand and lead us through the darkest of nights jesus on the cross lost the father's hand right and when you see jesus dying on the cross for you when your heart feasts on that truth and that reality you will be able to trust Jesus. That when He has your hand and He's leading you, right? And it seems like the strangest of journeys, 
right? It seems like these inexcusable, unreasonable directions and, 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 and destinations. It's okay. It's okay because you're with Jesus. Jesus has your hands. And when you see Jesus dying on the cross for you, loving you in that way, you can trust him no matter what, no matter what the delays in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, um, we confess to you that so many of us are waiting and we're waiting for you to deliver us. We're waiting for you to carry out your promises to us. And we're wondering, will you ever help us? Will you ever love us? But Lord, let us learn the lesson of Jairus. Let us see that your delays are always full of good purposes and your loving intentions and that your delays are for our good and ultimately that you are the one that loves us because you died for us on the cross and let that help us to trust you as our ultimate parent. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.